0: yeah all decisions are just based on what's best for the story instead of budget decisions exactly and that's the real freedom in writing fiction
1: welcome to the become a
0: writer today podcast with brian collins here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of writers
1: How can you get more people to read your stories and read your book? Hi there, my name is Brian Collins and welcome to the Become A Writer Today podcast. My guest this week is Joseph Bendosky. He's the author of the Skyfall series and Joseph actually has a background in screenwriting but he left screenwriting because he found that the conventions of that particular genre were pretty restrictive. Basically, as Joseph would explain in this week's interview, people were asking him to take elements out of scenes and out of scripts because it was too expensive or not in the budget for the particular TV show. So when he switched over to writing novels, he found that it was a lot more free in format because he didn't have to worry about that particular constraint. Joseph also wondered if he should write fiction or non-fiction. And he looked at book sales for Malcolm Gladwell and for George R. 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 Martin of Game of Thrones. And George R. R. Martin, and this was before the TV show, had sold over 80 million books, whereas Malcolm Gladwell's sales were somewhere around eight or nine million at the time. Now, that's still a lot of books, but Joseph's key takeaway was that if you really want to write a story that readers will actually read and enjoy, then perhaps fiction is the way to go. These days, he's spending a lot of time thinking about book marketing, which is something that I'm doing as well. And Joseph uses two strategies that Mark Dawson teaches in his course. I've followed these strategies. One of them involves, you know, having a free book that you give away to readers either on your author website. And I've done that with my book of writing prompts and also with book one in The Power of Creativity. And another strategy involves using Facebook ads. Now, I did experiment with Facebook ads before. I couldn't quite get them to break even and I was spending a lot of time looking at spreadsheets. So I switched over to Amazon ads, which oddly enough, a lot of authors would say are harder, but I found that Amazon ads converted better for me, at least for nonfiction books. But Joseph's having good success with using Facebook ads. Before we get over to this week's interview with Joseph, If you enjoy the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes or sharing the show on Overcast. You can also become a Patreon supporter for just a couple of dollars a month and I'll give you discounts on my writing courses, software and books. Quick caveat, the audio quality for this week's show isn't quite up to the usual standards, but I hope you'll bear with it and take away some insights from Joseph and how he markets and promotes his books. Joseph, you're all the way over in Utah, whereas I'm in Dublin, Ireland. Yes.
0: So it's early morning here.
1: Could you give listeners a flavor for who you are and the types of works that you like to write?
0: Uh, yeah, well, I guess I'll, I'll start with the podcast. So, uh, I, I well, I guess I'll start with how I got into writing. So as a kid, like, I mean, even when we were assigned to, like, write little short stories and stuff, I would stay in during recess just to finish the writing project. I would just sit there and just keep writing until the teacher was like, I want to go outside. You're done. <laughs> Let's go. So, You know, I always enjoyed writing stories ever since I was a little kid. And then um, as I got into high school and college, I became more interested in psychology. Just, uh, you know, the way people thought and worked were were very fascinating to me. I think always because I was an awkward kid and I would see kids who were popular and had lots of friends. And I was in my head, I always wondering, like, what's the difference between me and them? What is it they do differently? How is their brain working and, and affecting how they make choices that, that our lives are so drastically different. And so that really drove my curiosity into psychology. And as I was uh, nearing the end of, of my college education, I came across a, a book that had been written by a bunch of social psychologists who had used stories to engineer social change. One of the stories that I remember the most is they have wanted to address illiteracy in Mexico. And, you know, there's just millions and millions of people who were illiterate there. And the government had set up literacy programs for the people, but they just went unused. You know, like people would go out and they would like do canvassing door to door and they would hand out pamphlets that were images to you know kind of guide people. And, and yeah. they've gone through massive efforts to let people know about it. But still, the classes just were left empty every night. And so these team of social psychologists went down to Mexico and they had a proposition to be like, hey, we think we can fill your classes. What we want to do is work with the writers of your number one soap opera, which is, you know, they're huge down in in Mexico. And uh, so that's what they did. These social psychologists worked with, they devised a very specific storyline. One of the main characters was illiterate and it caused a multitude of problems in his life, all based on what are common problems people who are illiterate encounter. And it just got more and more frustrating for him as the season went on and caused him more and more problems in his life. Until one day, he was just so frustrated, he went and signed up for the illiteracy class. Yep. And the very next day, over six million Mexicans really went out and signed up for the illiteracy class. And, uh, you know, they continued with the project because, you know, they were worried about retention and all that. But I mean, that and they had other stories like that, how they were able to keep combine uh psychology, sociology, and all of that into this this work that had this impact, I just thought was amazing. And it was at that point that I really decided I wanted to combine these two interests of mine, psychology and uh storytelling.
1: Was this back when you were in college? (laughs) Yeah, this is just as I was finishing college. Okay. Okay. And at the same I noticed you have also been a head writer for the television show Saved by Grace. Did you get into television writing after college or at the same time as getting Uh, into writing?
0: It was right after, so just after college, I'd written. I think I wrote two or three nonfiction books, and uh, they had kind of struggled. And then, you know, I guess this is a whole other story. But um, essentially, I, I came across some really interesting statistics on writing. And uh, like, if you're familiar with Malcolm Gladwell, he's a you know very big nonfiction writer. You know, for the New York Times. I remember at one point uh, I was reading a thing, and he sold over six million copies of his Yeah, books and wildly successful. In contrast, I came across you know George R. R. Martin, who's just a fantasy writer, you know, no no science, no history, nothing, and he had sold over eighty million copies of his books. And
1: was well, this uh, before the television show?
0: Yeah, this was before the television show. So Martin had sold over eighty million copies of his books, and then uh, was it Amazon doesn't release its Kindle data and, and e-reader data, but a company called Kobo does, and Kobo says on average only. Three 32% of people ever finish nonfiction books. But when it comes to fiction books, over 84% of people finish those. And so I was looking at, at these two pieces of information. You know, here we have uh, a nonfiction writer at the top of his game, 6 million copies. But if we go by the average, then only 32% of people ever finish that book. Whereas so that's, martin
1: that's, that's less than 2 million.
0: Yeah, has sold over 80 million copies. And over 84% of people are finishing his books. Yeah, it's like if you want to reach some people you have got to write stories and yeah. so I mean I would first you know come into writing or I guess come back to writing because I you know read about this but then I'd gone into nonfiction just because I you know was just going straight to that and that's what i had been writing all through college that was my familiarity right writing papers and so it was then that I was like I've really got to start combining the two and at that point I started to explore writing, which I did for quite a while just you know, writing screenplays that nobody was reading for a long time. And then eventually, it was actually my brother who became a director on the project and invited me to join the writing team. And eventually I became the head writer there.
1: And has so, screenwriting helped your ability to write novels or informed how your craft for novel writing?
0: I wouldn't say a lot. Like, it's very different. Like, screenwriting, you know, you try to tell a story, but at the same time you want to leave as much room as possible for the actor to embody the work. And not only that, but I mean like I would write a draft and then like you know, then I would spend the whole week in meetings with people just basically telling me to cut, cut for costume costs, cut for, you know, staging costs, cut for, you know, and it's just eventually I was just like, I don't like this. I mean, if you're on a multi-million dollar project in LA, maybe it could be fun. But you know, writing for a for a smaller project is just like my, yeah. my whole week was just being like told well, cut this so we save money. Yeah. So it was a uh, it was a little bit of a frustrating, experience, and uh, like I said, I don't think it really had a big impact on how I wrote fiction, but I think it was my step into just writing fiction.
1: Yeah, I guess for for fiction and for your sci series, you, like you don't have to cut something because a budget. You, you just cut out yeah, if it doesn't yeah. make sense for the plot.
0: Yeah, all decisions are just based on what's best for the story instead of budget decisions. Exactly, and that's the real freedom in writing fiction and. I think I was actually listening to an interview with uh, a Hollywood actor. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. But he had written a novel and he just talked about how freeing that had been. You know, he says if I want to write a scene, I write it. And the cost of the scene is irrelevant because nobody's producing it. So I think that kind of opened my mind. Be like, you know what? Maybe I should just write uh, narrative fiction literature instead of trying to do screenwriting where everything is so much of it is about budget.
1: I was talking to a screenwriter the other day and he's Described how when you're writing a screenplay, it's all about the dialogue, whereas when you're writing a novel, you've other things to think about. So, did your screenwriting background inform how you approach dialogue?
0: I wouldn't say a lot. I mean, a lot of dialogue I've more learned and studied in the in the post screenwriting era. You know, I guess in, in screenwriting you're a slave; like they just want you cranking all the, time which I guess is good in the sense that you're writing a lot, but there isn't yeah. a lot of time to really break it down and, and study the craft. Yeah. Uh, so most of what I've learned about writing, I learned, you know, after writing, you know, three nonfiction books, after, you know, screenwriting for a couple of years. Then I wrote my, my first novel. and It was awful. And I couldn't figure out why. Right. I was like, I need feedback. I need feedback. And eventually I found a writing group and they were able to point me in the direction of because I'd read craft books for writing. You know, I'd, I'd read them before and I was never impressed by them. I was like, I didn't really learn much. But uh, in my writing group, they were able to direct me to some very specific books on craft that were just incredibly
1: informative. And really Any particular fun. books that come to mind? Uh, so uh, is it
0: uh, Writer's Digest puts out a series? And yeah. those are fantastic. Like, they are really good. And then, uh, what is it, uh, Writing Kidlet was one that I picked up that was also really good. So, you know, and since then, I've kind of explored out, um, so Robert McKee, he is a, a writing instructor, but he's an instructor for screenwriting. But his his exploration of story itself is incredibly well done. It's, the book is just called Story,
1: and then yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it's a fantastic book. I attended a yeah. workshop by Robert McKee several years ago. It made made oh, a big yeah. impact. Now I think about writing.
0: Yeah, so his is great. It's more about you know he's he's not going to address you know writing narrative points within you know literature. But he addresses just writing story in general. And then K.M. Weiland, I don't know if you're familiar with her. She's definitely one of my my favorite writers on the craft of writing. I always reference her. And then there's a writer called Lisa Crone. Yep. So those, I'd say, are my big three. And then there's one more. Oh, I can't even remember the name off the top of my head. (laughs) Uh, Sorry. But, yeah, so those three and, and one other, they're kind of my big source. So whenever I'm preparing an episode for my podcast, I will always see what these four writers have written on this topic. And then, you know, I'll explore out as
1: well. Yeah, yeah. If you like Robert McKee, there's an excellent book. Perhaps you've read it. It's called The Art of Dramatic Writing. If I haven't read it, it's at least wish list because the name's very familiar. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of I think where Robert McKee maybe based some of his ideas on. It's all about what goes into a good story, specifically screenplays, but it works for other genres as well. Yeah
0: yeah like the fundamental elements of the story are going to be the same across all genres but just how you how you write out the specifics is going to be very different
1: yeah yeah this particular book was written i think in the the mid part of the 20th century um he's mm-hmm. a Hungarian playwright it's definitely worth checking out so when you wrote the your series did you set out to write skyfall as a series or did you write book one and then decide to write a sequel
0: so, it was planned originally planned as a standalone, uh, but there were several things that kind of happened along the way to make me be like, I have to write a series. And the first was just the, the monetary aspect of it, studying the marketing side of writing. You know, before I just kind of leaned on the publisher to do that, and it just, it had never done well. And then I encountered Mark Dawson, and he had talked about his own story of traditional publishing. He'd been traditionally published, and is nothing had happened, right? The marketing behind the books had not been good, and they never took off, right? Like he was never able to really become a full-time writer or anything. And so then he decided, you know what? They're not doing a good job marketing my books. I bet I can do a better job. So then he, you know, started to explore the marketing side and started marketing his own books that way. And then you know, kind of taken off since, which really proved that the fault in the books was the marketing behind them, not the writing. Yeah, And so I was like, you know, that's something I want to do. You know, I think I really enjoyed my books, you know, that's why I wrote them. And so it's was like, I think the problem might be the marketing behind them as opposed to books themselves. And much like Mark, you know, because of contracts and whatnot, I wasn't able to market those original nonfiction books, uh, but I could write new ones and market those. So,
1: so with, with Mark Dawson, I took his course maybe two <laughs> years ago. And two of the strategies he recommends are having a free book. And also, he talks about advertising. Are those strategies that you're using? Yes.
0: So, I mean, all my books are available for sale on Amazon. But if you're signing up for my newsletter, you get one of the novellas for free. Yeah. Right. And you know, I I join various promotion groups and giveaway groups to really uh, you know push that free book to people and, and try and drive
1: them to that newsletter. And do you run Facebook ads or paid advertising as well?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I love Facebook ads, like yeah. uh, just very easy to split test, very easy to adjust, very easy to analyze the data. I remember at one point uh, during during my own podcasting, I, I interviewed a guy who was traditionally published. And when he was published, the, the publisher, they had him take some, some classes on marketing and different things. And so they were having him do basically all the stuff I was doing on the indie side and the difference was is that i can see the impact of, of my choices tomorrow you know or usually best look at it like a week later he would get a report every four months and then you'd yeah. have to try and figure out what he did that worked and didn't and i was like "Ooh, that's a rough way to market
1: yeah six months yes that's a long time and you think of anything online particularly or anything digital well that would be impossible so in terms of one of your books, I noticed, like it has 140-plus reviews. This is the 12 Shots, 12 Crimes, 12 Authors. Uh, I presume this is where you collaborated with other creatives on it, a yeah. book.
0: That was an anthology that we put together of either short stories or novellas to just kind of expose our writing to the audiences of all the other authors in that, yeah. in that little collection there. So, yeah, pretty common tactic. Oh, yeah. I don't think I ever answered your 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 question of why I re- changed from standalone to series. So, in studying and marketing, I realized how much easier it is to make a profit on a series, right? Because if the reader reads one book of yours and it's you know decent, okay, you know, they didn't, it's not like their all-time favorite, but not uh, you know, not terrible, then they'll usually go on to read the series, you know, and then far more likely to become a fan of yours if they've read a whole series and continue to read your books even outside of that series. Whereas If they read your one book and it's not part of series and it doesn't just blow their mind, they might not become a fan of yours. You just may be an author they read one book of and never really hunted down And so just from the profit aspect, being able to sell a whole series is a lot easier and and it's a lot easier to convert a reader to a fan.
1: On the series question, it looks like you've doubled down on Thriller. Like From what I can see, Skyfall is a four book series and then you also have uh, your collaboration with the other thriller writers did you ever consider any other genres uh yeah so i mean i
0: started work on a fantasy series i read a lot of fantasy and i really uh enjoy it i haven't published in that realm yet but i do plan to and i have like an outline and pieces of a rough draft for even a romance i don't read a lot of romance i will never become a full-on romance writer but it was just an idea i had that just kind of grew on its own and so i was like well i'll just write this standalone just so that i can just write this story and get it out of my head
1: okay what does your writing routine look like these days do you write in the morning or do you write for a predetermined period or do you have some other workflow
0: so because i've got you know i've got two podcasts that i run on a bunch of projects so essentially writing gets two weeks out of the month and uh during it i write in the afternoon and so i've got like I'm a checklist person. So every day has like a checklist of things I've got to do to get to the day. And, you know, then if there's a to-do list, you know, and part of that is, you know, try to get in at least an hour of solid writing. And then usually the to-do list itself is just more writing on that day. But it could be, you know, revising, uh, looking over an outline, going over feedback from a beta reader or my writing partner, you know, just different things like that. And so, you know, I try to get in, you know, four to five hours a day on writing whatever aspect i'm working on during that two-week period and then i get you know uh distance from the work when i go back to the podcast for the next two weeks
1: okay uh, that's quite a lot uh, what you're speaking to another person who likes to do lists and checklists so i'm the kind of person who likes to outline in advance do, do you also outline in advance or do you have another approach
0: yeah so my first novel which was never published in, in a train wreck i pants. like i just sat down at the screen and wrote like i had i you know i had vague ideas in my head and I remember sitting down at the uh computer so many times and be like, what am I gonna write? I don't even know. You know, I'm just it was just agonizing. And I remember in, in one of the craft books I was reading at the time, one of the writers had talked about the tyranny of the blank page and that constant tyranny of facing that blank page was the reason he had left writing to become a producer. And I was like, you know, I, d- I don't like the tyranny of the blank page either. It it makes, you know, once I get into it, it's okay. But just starting the process is miserable. And so I then began to read about, you know, the difference between, you know, uh, is it gardeners and architects or pansters and plotters. And uh, I started plotting out my books a little bit more, just particularly to make sure I could hit the really big points of story. And yep. that transformed the writing process for me, Like right? There's no longer the tyranny of the blank page. You know I'd sit down and I'd uh, look at the outline for the upcoming you know moments, and I'd look at the outline for the chapter, and i just transfer those notes onto the page itself, and then i just follow the outline, and I was like, "Oh, this is so easy." And you know, the outlining process is, is kind of a brainstorming fun session anyway. And so suddenly that all, all the struggle and, and the tyranny, uh, so to speak, of the blank page was gone. and I could enjoy the whole writing process and just, instead of just aspects of it.
1: What I'm outlining, I tend to use uh, bullet points or index cards or occasionally mind maps. Do you outline by writing a, like a summary of the chapter or do you have some other approach for outlining?
0: So I, I, I guess I move through phases like I, I just do everything in a word doc. And so the first thing is I, I look at it will be like, what are the major points of the story? What is the climax? What is the, the midpoint turn? What is the catalyst? And then the first I write in those in the back, like, okay, what are some of the big scenes that I've imagined in my head that I know I really want to write and where do they fit in that? You know, yeah. so the book's now been kind of cut into four acts, so to speak. And then, uh, and then I'd be like, okay, so what are now the smaller pieces? What are the steps I need to take to reach each of those points? And so then I'll go and fill in those. And uh, at that point, then I'd be like, okay, so what are the chapters that need to happen in each of here? And then I kind of fill in, I don't fill in like chapter one, chapter two, but like I just fill in this chapter needs to be about this section. We have this, this, this. And so at that point, I kind of have a a rough outline, you know. And so then uh, when I sit down to actually write, I'll then take, you know, what is this section slash chapter about and then put that there. And I think through just really quickly, a bit, okay, what are some things that need to happen here to make sure I reach this this one goal? And then from there, then I just sit
1: down and write. What does your editing process look like?
0: So, it moves through a couple phases. So, the first phase is I want to take my rough draft and just convert it into a paragraph per chapter. Yeah. And then I will send that off to my writing partner and he will, you know, he'll read through it and then we'll have a a meeting and we'll talk about the plot and some of the problems I think it has and some of the problems he sees based on the little uh, outline that he's read. And we'll restructure uh, scenes based on that feedback there. So, then I take that feedback. I run it you know, through the outline um, and then I'll try and pull it and then I'll send it back to him one more time. And you know, we'll repeat that process once. And then at that point, I'll prep it and send it to my alpha readers. And then they'll go through it and, you know, identify what they see as problems in the plot and whatnot. And then, uh, then we'll, you know, again, revise. It doesn't go to the alpha readers twice. They just read it the one time. And then it will go to the beta readers. Then I will go through it one last time and make any adjustments that just I feel as a writer that I want, you know, after all the feedback has kind of been put into it, and it'll go into copy editing.
1: I'm familiar with beta readers, as in somebody reviews, you know, a copy of the book before it's published and looks for errors and provides suggestions. But what's the difference between an alpha reader and a beta reader?
0: An alpha reader is going to give you uh, points on character and plot. Like, essentially, it's kind of the same process as I go through with my writing partner you know he's going to poke holes in the plot he's going to say this character feels undeveloped this this decision feels inauthentic you know this scene didn't feel big enough i know i would have liked to see this just stuff like that uh so it's more of a developmental feedback you get from an alpha reader like an alpha reader kind of takes the approach to be like what would i have done different if i wrote this book Um, okay those those i have to hire like i don't have like a specific list of people who just like to do that
1: so they're not they're not readers on your email list Where, where did you hire them uh, I just get them
0: off of Fiverr. You know, I look at their okay. experience and everything, and so i'll I'll hire an alpha leader off of okay.
1: Fiverr, okay, okay. And do you find that they come up with helpful suggestions? It's just I, I haven't used Fiverr for anything like that, and i'd I'd wonder what the quality of their feedback is like.
0: I mean, I haven't found anybody that I'm like a hundred percent I would you know do this person again, but I haven't found yeah. some that I like. but I mean so usually they'll have a list of the types of books they like to read, yeah and that kind of gives you a feel of what kind of feedback you're going to get. But I mean, sometimes you're going to get more beta reader feedback rather than alpha reader feedback from them. Yeah. So it's kind of hit and miss, you know, until you can find some that you really, you know, I have some that I, I will go back to just because I haven't found anyone I love yet.
1: Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I guess it's supposed you're making a decision on whether to accept our feedback or not. Is it expensive to work with an alpha reader?
0: No, and a lot of times, uh, I, I live in the United States, And so a lot of times if I'm hiring an alpha reader in Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, or even just a a native English speaker living in a country where the cost of living is much lower, usually that lowers the cost of the alpha reader just based on the currency shift, right? So, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm paying them like a hundred, whereas it's equal to like maybe 700 of, you know, their currency. So.
1: Okay. Okay. So you've got the book critiqued by an alpha reader by a beta reader and it's gone through a copy edit what's your what's your next step before publication do you you start working on promoting the book
0: no so uh i mean once i i've got my cover and everything ready then uh i start teasing it to my to my mailing list right i send out the cover Uh, a couple of days later they might get you know uh blurb then you know three or four days later they might get the first chapter Uh, Just kind of, you know, know, that's really only the hype I'm building right there is to my reader list. Um, And then, uh, you know, I, I, I inform them, you know, that if you get it in the first 24 hours, it'll only be 99 cents. And then after that, the price will go up to normal. You know, call it the fans pricing. Okay. And the goal there is just to spike those early sales on the book and to start getting in reviews really early because you've got a lot of people that, you know, they're like, oh, I'll save you several dollars here if I just get it on the first day. That The fan pricing is really about manipulating Amazon algorithms. Right?
1: When you're promoting your book, are you also writing as well? Or do you just focus solely on promotion?
0: So during the, the two weeks that I'm writing, I try to do at least an hour a day of writing. But I mean, if I've got promotion stuff to do, then that's kind of like, you know, I did, I did just an hour of writing. And then it's like, okay, the rest of the day is just promotion work here. So and then I'll run Facebook ads like, to my mailing list. So uh, just to make sure, you know, maybe they didn't get the email or they haven't gotten to it yet, then they'll start getting Facebook ads for the new book as well. And then I'll run Facebook ads against people who kind of match the profile of my mailing list
1: and just start from there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like you're taking to heart what Mark teaches in his course.
0: Yeah. Like I have found Facebook ads to be insanely effective. Like I love Facebook ads. They're so good to use.
1: Could you give listeners a flavor for your ballpark budget for Facebook ads?
0: So like whenever I'm starting a new book, I always just start with like $50 because I've got to like there's a ton of split testing to do before I can commit to a marketing budget for real. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's, you know, $50. I'm testing, you know, just backgrounds with the cover on front and looking at the conversions. uh, uh, One thing I always tell people when you're running Facebook ads is you need to have a book in the ad like it's got to look 100% like a book because you know there's tv shows there's movies there's video games like if you just have the image of your cover there it could be anything you know or some i've even seen book ads that have no you know not even a book cover on there just like some cool looking images and i'm like you're not filtering properly with this ad you have got to have a book on there so that they know when they click on it they're going to be looking
1: at a book oh you're sending them directly to the amazon page
0: Yes, although at the moment, I'm trying something new where I'm just driving everything to my landing page, yeah. and I'm just trying to do everything through the novella. So I'm not even advertising paid products at the moment. Just everything is for the free book giveaway. Okay. And so uh, been yeah, just as I've been studying marketing stuff recently, I uh, became familiar with the work of Russell Brunson, and he is all about just get that email list. Yeah. And that email and then your whole investment is just converting this person into a fan because yeah. if I send people to an Amazon page then the things I have to sell the book are the cover and the blurb and those, yeah. those are the only things that I can truly control to sell my book. But if I can get their email and get them opening my email then I can you know I there's the cover that they've seen of the book there's the blurb that they've already read and then I can tell them the story behind uh why I wrote that book. I can tell them some of the stories from the research that are really interesting that aren't actually part of the book. I can tell them my own story as an author. Like there's a I can you now tell them a multitude of stories to make them become more invested in me as an author. I can, you know, I can then offer up my best reviews in those emails as social proof. I have a friend who hates mangoes, absolutely hates them, thinks they taste the awful. And she has tried mangoes at least twelve different times, and I was asking her about this, and she, I, and she said, "What? She's like, well, so many people just tell me about how good they are and how much they enjoy them, that I have to try them again. <laughs> and yeah. you know, this this is really kind of the same concept here: is one selling a person a book does not guarantee they'll read it, or giving yeah. it away for free, but like if they're going to read it, it even drops lower. Yeah. But when I have that email. I can invest in some really short, well-written emails to convince them to read that book that they okay. now own. And, you know, even with my friend, you know, she tried mangoes 12 times. Uh, you know, even if they didn't really get sucked in in the first chapter, maybe with all the social proof and stuff I can get through email, I can convince them to try chapter two. Now, if you get to chapter five and you still don't really like my book, playbook's my for you. But my own experience is uh, The Name of the Wind is one of my favorite books but I did not enjoy the first 100 pages. And the only reason I pushed through was because so many people just kept telling me how good it is that I eventually pushed through that first 100 pages that I didn't think was that great. And I got into the rest of the story, which I just love. And that's kind of what I hope to do by gathering email addresses is to be able to, one, convince them to read the book that they now have, and two, if they don't love that first chapter, to convince them to dive deeper. And... So that's what I'm working on right now. It's kind of a new approach for me, and I don't really have feedback for you on how it's working.
1: Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I'm familiar with Russell's approach. I use ConvertKit for my email list. Is that Are you using something similar? I use
0: MailerLite uh, for my email list.
1: Yeah, very good. So Joseph, where can people read your books or where can they find more information about you or listen to your podcast?
0: My books are, of course, on Amazon.com. I'm currently yeah. exclusive with them just for the higher royalties and then my podcast is start writing and you can find that pretty much anywhere
1: you can find a podcast thank you joseph it's very nice to talk to you today yeah thank you i hope you enjoyed this week's episode if you did please consider leaving a short review on the itunes store discounts on writing software and on my writing courses.